0: Line Records Rewind!
1: Yeah, well, this is Les Carlson here talking to Everyday Life, and uh, it it has been a wonderful experience this morning. Thank you, Uh, thank you. uh, Being able to come in and see your rehearsals, and you guys have not played together for what, fifteen years? Fifteen
2: years. It's been a while, really, yeah. And and yeah, they were in here beautiful.
1: today, and you know, yeah. I found myself really getting drawn into it, and it was it was when you were hitting those levels where you were not thinking, it was like yeah, there it is, you know. Thanks. And and uh, so I'm I'm glad you're back. Thank you. And Thank you. and I'm I'm interested in hearing about how you got together and and all those things. So I do yeah. want you to know that in this. Uh, this time that we have together on Frontline Records Rewind. I just want you to, to speak your minds and your hearts uh, and, and why you do this and, and you know what, what drives you and, and why you're together and all that. Yeah. So, anyway, here goes.
0: Goes by. I feel there is a marathon to run The same we felt about you and all you've done The good times brought us together I never traded for the world, I swear this to you My hopes and dreams were real, true, then validated But the past bond and gone, still related It's all gone now, wrong, never thought The lessons of my life would be the hardest lesson, on. Huh? So say it's not true, one day this will be My way let my my love be If only for one more day, I right became The thing that brought me to elation But it's now gone, without explanation! A reflection, it's how i failure A reflection in victory I know my bitches will do a fought the world to kill for me A reflection Another reflection Another reflection I stand upon this path, I stand here again amongst the aftermath of relationships that slipped through my fingers like the cranberry said or should I regain the promises of troubled past? Perhaps this one moment, the one that will outlast I know this seem for the big fall So I allow myself the space, time and all Reflect for a sec, now we don't relate But we can overlook this mountain, no great. Because it has its peaks and we've come to ours as well We'll all play toy with knowing that we not fail we can no longer look to tough resilience The moment of time will be the brief for rebellion It doesn't matter for the sake of struggle It's better to we'll let go than watch it all crumble A reflection is how a failure A reflection a victory I know i have been you would do A bomb that's low to you for me A reflection is a failure A reflection a victory A common reflection A terrible reflection
1: Question from Les Carlson.
3: To, yeah, to never guys. heard of the guy. Yeah, no, idea oh, who that guy. Is. Yeah, sounds like a good kid from Iowa. All right.
1: <laughs> well, my first question is who who are the original guys? I mean, who started it? Who's you know where did it where did you come together at?
4: Carl, and where is are you actually, from? Carl's OG. Yeah, yeah, this is Carl, and um, the idea of EDL uh, Everyday Life. Um, I used to play in a, another band uh, called Nicene Creed, and, and and we were gaining traction and, and mildly uh, popular, and and uh, Ted was uh, my buddy that was like this rapper guy, and and we Nicene Creed was like this really grindcore, real really heavy band, and and uh, Ted would come to our rehearsals, and we would just hang out, and and uh, we started do me and Ted started doing these jam things with with my metal band, and. Um, it was fun and we were just goofing around a lot and um, we had a the Nicene had written a song with Ted uh, called Nineties Warfare and it was uh, really heavy and, you know and we had uh, this real heavy spot and then and, and, uh, Ted would rap and then another heavy spot type thing and and uh, Nicene Creed had an opportunity to play with the Crucified uh, at the Roxy and uh, so we, we performed there and uh, I talked to uh, the guys in Nicene to let Ted come on and let us do our little jam just for fun. And uh, and we did, and it was great, and Ted left, and uh, we performed again, and we're super heavy metal type guys, and... and uh, after Ted left and we performed another song, uh, we had people in the audience yelling, bring back the rapper. <laughs> and uh, that was the last time, that was the last time that Ted played with Nicene Creed. And, and so yeah, those, yeah. those boys got a little, a little sore on that. And, um, and uh, that band was just going through its changes and I was like, man, let's just, that was really exciting. You know, and, and, and the, the feel between me and Ted our energy, um, and, and just the ability to, to create something that was actually kind of different where it was, uh, uh, live music with, with a rapper, uh, and, and, and heavy music at that with the rapper was, was, was kind of brand new. There was only a, a few artists that were actually kind of doing that. Um, and so we,
1: like who, what?
4: Uh, the, the art the, the, It there was actually, uh, there was a movie called Judgment Night and they they had put out a uh, a um, soundtrack. a soundtrack. And uh Judgment Night had like uh all kinds of different like like hip hop bands and then metal bands and, uh-huh. like uh uh, it was like Biohazard right. and Slayer did a, oh, a right. Dinosaur Jr. and Sir Mix A or yes, something like very that. Very obscure bands were being shoved yeah, together yeah. because
1: it, this really works. This this rap and metal thing really well, works. I I think at the time
3: that Carl was really seeing that there was something to it, the bands that Carl and I were listening to were, you know, like Mother's Milk from the Red Hot Chili Peppers or um, 24/7 Spies or Fishbone. This very Funk-laden, yeah, funk-laden kind of, you know, the lyricist is just keeping up with the tempo of the song. And by by circumstance, it comes out a bit hip-hop-ish. But not so much that you would say that's, you know, there's a commitment to that hip-hop style. And it was a couple of bands like Urban Dance Squad and um, Body Count and even XL's record that had just barely came out. And so had the first Rage Against the Machine song, but there was so little of it; it had zero influence in radio, except for Rage. Mm-hmm. But Carl's idea was much was, was I, I I just want to say it was much more just straight ahead, like rock and roll. Like this is a good thing; we need to run with this. I actually followed his lead. Mm-hmm. I was I was still very much doing just solo hip-hop stuff and I, I think Carl was the one that had this vision that was there's something here there's something more to this let's
1: create so uh, back to Carl to because I kind of took you on a little side trail but it, it all relates so that's we understand how you guys got together now where's Eric
4: in this Eric uh, was playing in another band uh, a very heavy
2: like four-part harmony journey-ish you know like that kind of rock and and uh I was into, I was into the, all the, the same stuff, but, you know, like, Nicene was doing, doing their thing, and he was doing his thing. We were all, like, mildly successful at what we were doing and gaining traction in what we were, what we were doing. But then it, there was a point where it just kind of, like, <clears throat> stalemate, and we were like, okay, what do we do? And that's really where, you know, there was a, a first few shows I just did. I programmed a drum machine. And they took a tape on a boombox to to the show and put it up, put a mic to it, and, and he went off and he played guitar.
4: <laughs> the the, the very, it was very hard to get Eric to commit to it, play yeah, for because I was still EDO. into that
2: whole mode like oh I'm doing what I'm doing and it's it's being cool and then like that took a a, a left turn and I was like well now I don't have anything to do so. But it was also let's jump in.
3: But but like we like we mentioned a minute ago, there are so few bands. That, that we're doing it it's very hard especially with with the management that we brought on early we, we inherited a manager from Carl's old band and he heard it and fortunately he got it but it's it was a very difficult sell when you're out there because most most people relate to if I like this I will like this the whole recommended if you sure. like. Yeah, that mentality yeah. comes from somewhere but there was so little of it. That it was hard to, you know, go to Eric and go, look, here's a very successful formula that's already out in the industry. And we're all sitting here going, man, we have no idea what the heck this is. You should be part of it. No, I don't know if you know this or not, but this formula is really working. We're going to solo in. We're going to solo out. And it was a very difficult sell. And so, like I said, from the very beginning, Carl was kind of the visionary. He's like, look, there's so little of it. There's an opportunity and you'll probably hear us say this a lot, create.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: Make build something up. You know, it, it, it doesn't have a, a brand unless it was, you know, unless it didn't exist, then it did. And so Carl is in his head, Carl's formulating this plan of here's what I think this new music should f- sound like. And I'm following along. And then there's this subtle convincing
4: of Eric that it's like, look, we don't know either.
0: Yeah,
3: it it's was come it was, along.
4: It was great trying to talk Eric into it, and, and like he said, there was two or three shows uh, that uh, somehow EDL had booked, uh, and people would let us perform. And uh, I couldn't get Eric to commit, so he would, uh, was kind enough to uh, program some stuff on on a, on a drum machine. And me and Eric, would just, or me and Ted, would just go to these shows, and it was just me <laughs> and Ted and uh, our, our tape player in that uh, We would play. Literally. And uh, it was crazy, and, P- and kids were into it. Be- it. It was kind of a new sound. Uh, and uh, as-, as EDL started to develop uh, after a few of those shows, uh, Eric did play live with us, and um, we needed a bass player, and I uh, had uh, recruited uh, Orlando Greenhill uh, from Havelina Rail Company. Uh, Orlando's uh, one of the best musicians I've ever met. And he was so kind and and so uh, amazing at what he could do. Uh, His skill level musically is beyond mine. And um, EDL would do, we probably played six months, uh, several shows where uh, it was kind of all improv. You know, And, and that was kind of, the idea yeah, of everyday life was just
2: nothing but improv.
4: Yeah. It was just trying to take a bunch of sounds from what we would hear through the neighborhood, you know, and we were trying to shove those into songs or to a set. Mm-hmm. And so we would just do these things with Orlando, and he was so talented, I could just, you know, make noise on the guitar and he could follow me and just, we would just create it live, you know, in front of 50 to 100 people. It was mm-hmm. amazing, it was crazy. About three shows into that people started going, Play that one song oh. And we're like, Oh, oh yeah, minute, that, minute, we'll it. It. that one song, you know, so so that forced us to actually start to write something that we could perform so again. So you began
1: to arrange music. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More. So Well there was there was, was one time bizarre. where
3: it was super again, super very impromptu. And I I think when you go back and you you look at like jazz and you look at even like scat, things like that. Improvisational is the is is the ground level start for everything that comes up. So whether you know, <laughs> jokingly but meaning it, whether you're Bobby McFerrin or you're a Coltrane or a, or a Monk or somebody like that, you go in fresh palette, nothing, and it was kind of kind of amazing, kind of scary as crap mm-hmm. that we'd go in there and go, okay, and that was it, and that's that's how it started and in one particular instance, we are at this little, tiny, t- bigger, as big as this room that we're in now, uh-huh. um, church. And we did one, and the whole song was this kind of very slow, creeping beat. And all I did was talk about how life is passing you by just sitting on the couch. And somewhere along the line, that became the couch. And we are about three impromptu shows into it, and people were like, hey, can you play that song about the couch? And we'd all have to look at each other and go, what are they talking yeah, about? The couch. Yeah, 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 what is the couch? Are you
1: sure you don't want the coffee? Too? Yeah. <laughs> right have right the recliner? Tonight? We got one called the recliner. It's amazing.
4: <laughs> yeah. So it was interesting. But that's really how EDL started was uh, uh, through that journey of, of uh, just jamming with Ted at rehearsals through my other band and, and uh, talking Eric into it and, and uh, bringing Orlando in and, and uh, performing impromptu. Uh, to actually writing those structures of songs, and, and uh, it was amazing. It was, but that's how it was. Mm-hmm. It was very organic or uh, free, yeah, and scary good all word. at the same time. It was it was interesting. We were talking about song structures, and, and as a writer or a creator uh, of music, um, the song "Let It Ride" on "Moment of Clarity." Um, the way that song came to me and, and how it, you know, it was, I'm sure every artist has this, but you, you're like an antenna, you know what I mean? You can mm-hmm. just tune into the ether and it just comes yeah. to you. But that song, you know, I needed a song that just started, just, you know, and that's how Let It Right starts. It's just on, you know what I mean? It's just bang. But that song came to me and, and through the recording process, of, of, of that song, Let It Ride, is exactly how it came to me. It is exactly what I heard in my head uh, before even touching the guitars and, and the band together. Interesting. So that recording of that particular song is one of my happiest and grateful. And um, that song is exactly... It's what the it most pure expression. It was exactly yeah. what it was supposed to be. There was not a lot of struggling and fighting and like, oh, we got to cut this part. That song was just. It happened. What came is exactly what you hear, and it's awesome. Well, Let's hear cool. it. Let it ride. EDL.
1: So I was discussing with Ted, uh, th- I mean, the idea of, of the, you know, the way that he raps, I mean, I, I don't really have that in my brain. Um, I, when I heard it, I was like, you know, when I've heard this sort of thing that you do and, and that have, bands have done, rappers and that sort of thing, I don't really just have a feel for it. And he was explaining to me that there's a certain sort of mindset that goes with that. And, um, I mean, I find that fascinating because, because you know, being a singer, uh, a, a white guy, you know, in the 60s, I really wanted to have, I wanted to have soul because I, I just didn't like the real white-sounding guys. Yeah, totally. And so I listened to a lot of black artists, uh, Little Richard and Wilson Pickett, and, you know, I mean, I really got into those guys, Otis Redding, and, and so it gave me some soul as a white guy, and which really... Well, even but, but, Wilson, but but what you do I I have no clue. Well Wilson Pickett's cover of Hey
3: Jude, hands down one of not just a great cover, almost better. Absolutely almost better. But it's it's the journey. It's how you get yeah. there. It's the yeah. sound. And and Pickett brings something out of that that is, is incredible and like you said, soulful and it's speaking to so many more people. Whereas when you talk about Hey Jude being sung by, you know, a dude in his 30s, white dude from England, all of a sudden it's, it, it takes on a different meaning and it doesn't yeah. go to the same places that somebody like a picket does. Sure. And so it, in that translation, you hear that, you know, somewhere along the line, you know, um, Hollow uh, Notes had to have done the same thing to have gotten where they are, but now they're a staple in their own right. So everybody's getting there the same way, um,
1: and, and you have you guys have musical tastes that are quite I mean,
3: deep. Actually, it, Eric said it. I think the best. I, I think we probably all collectively said it. I know. I know Jim said it too. We never listened to the music that we played because, you know, every day Carl and, and Eric were coming to the studio and and creating something new every day so we didn't have a basis to go off mm-hmm. of so we would have to kind of let our defenses down and, and go out and say you know and Carl would come back and like there's this really great band in Germany um, 50% of their, their music is programmed on everything that is analog uh, a band called Atari Teenage Riot but Carl would bring this to it and go there's something in here that we can use mm-hmm. and then I would bring in you know, um, maybe like like an old Run DMC record, but there's a great sample or somewhere where Rick Rubin goes, hey, we need a guitar player to come in because you guys have been ripping off rock and roll records for so long. Let's incorporate that. So there were all these great things. And then Eric would bring in trance music and all of these things that he was finding, these really great like triplets and solo drum stuff, like a lot of drum educational tapes Mm -hmm. where he's like, I'm not watching this because I'm getting better at this. I'm watching this because look at how he's playing that. There's something there. Mm -hmm. And again, we didn't have anybody to partner up with, nobody to A-B against, so we had to bring in our own. And um, with me, I just discussed this with the guys the other day. I almost quit the band uh, because I had no idea about music. I Hip-hop, it's four fours, that's it. All I had to do is rhyme on the one, Rhyme on the four. If I get technicals, threes and twos would count. Um, I can do literals. You know, there's so many things on a poetic level that as a hip hop artist, you're given courtesy to. But we wrote a song and it was just a solid 4 4 beat when we had originally recorded it. And then we talked about putting it on a compilation record. And Carl and Eric were like, let's draw from the influence of bands like Napalm Death and Carcass and Slayer, where they go into these really quick blast beats. And I'm just shaking my head, no clue what a blast beat was. Can't tell you what it was. Yeah, just And and Eric's like, all right, so here's what we'll do, we're gonna count this at one one thirty second timing. Well, no, he says we're gonna do cut time. So where we're playing in fours, we'll take it from eighths. We'll go go to sixteenths. And I'm just nodding. Yeah, absolutely. I'm on it. Have no idea what the heck you're talking about. Got done with practice borderline tears, sitting in my car going, they're going to kick me out of the band. I have no clue whatsoever they're talking about because they were musicians. (laughs) And I'm just dude with four fours. All you'd have to do is bang on a box four times and I could rap all around it. But then that's when Carl would say, let the guitar be your backup. I'm going to play this. When you come, come with the word that's here. And, and, and Eric would, you know, can you meet me on these triplets? Can you meet me on this fill? Can, where can you get me here? And they would constantly challenge me to make the voice part of it. You know, it, don't just let it be the, you know, here's your solid four. I step back. They do a chorus. Here's your solid four. They would challenge me. It's like you need to think about it a little bit more.
1: You need to do something a little bit more. And they both sing. So
3: I had something to go off of, yeah. too.
1: So And that's that's what you were telling me, that these two guys were really – helpful in, in, in getting you to where you are now.
3: If it wasn't for the fact that, it, it, once I got comfortable being in the band and letting my defenses down and, and admitting I, I don't know everything, their musicality came in and then they could guide me. I, I don't think that there's a lot of bands that made it from, that were in this whole hip hop and rock genre that made it without having to say, you know, your lead singer is very one dimensional. If we're going to make it through this transition in this trend of music, you got to start singing and uh, the songs that we did sing if it wasn't for them you know those i my defenses would have been up and we wouldn't have yeah. expanded it was it was difficult sometimes you know i i don't think there's too many hip hop artists that sit down at a at a at a piano with Lanny Cardola and and your guitar player and your drummer standing around you going we're gonna help you sing a four part harmony the heck you are I'm gonna go out in the car and go cry now and so it was it it's a very humbling experience but without them I don't think that a lot of bands would have heard those musical transitions and been able to have done what we did too yeah it it was one of those things again where it's like we're creating something new so the limitations are automatically you know. They're off. You have no limitations. But it scared me. Nonetheless, it scared me.
1: So what was it like working
4: with Lanny? Cordell. Whole man. He was very, he was a great dude, you know. the That record <laughs> is, what, very shiny, right? It's very produced very. when it's when it's all said and done. And EDL, at that point of EDL's life, it was very you know, it wasn't that improv thing anymore. So we created uh, structured songs and and, um, recording them. uh, You you guys saw a little bit today, you know, it's a little rough, it's a little raw, you know, and and that record, it's just shinier than what,
1: it's interesting, the way you know what I mean?
4: It's shinier, yeah. It's, shi- it's a, not overproduced, but it's just shiny. It's produced it's, more yeah. than uh, American Standard was, where yeah. that, tra- that kind of captured a little bit of the intensity, you know what I mean, yeah. of, of what we were doing. The songs are completely different, but the, in, the, the sound of the, yeah. of the record. Well, and uh, and, and Lanny was awesome. It was a trip. Oh, he's, with his history, he's a great, great musician. Really, oh yeah, really super talented. talented. But with his, his
3: musical history, it, it's to be expected that that's how that record it should have sounded. But the, the great, I, I think the saving grace with it because I had a lot of difficulties. That's just me being transparent. Because um, locally, we had it hadn't really been done, or it was it was getting done, but there wasn't enough people doing it, and I don't think that. I don't think that with Lanny's background, he understood where we were trying to go. We would come to him. It's like, well, here's check your head from the Beastie Boys. I don't necessarily want to sound like them, but at one point, he's singing through you know a combo amp with a fuzz box, and his his vocals sound like that. Like to get there, like to like to do some of this stuff. Mm -hmm. And with Lanny, it's a it's a very polished. You should be able to falsetto. You should be able to alto. You should be
1: able to do all of these things. so you but should a have a range. Yeah, the, the pr- producer mentality is trying to stretch you guys all the way to the max to see what he has to work with. Right. But but it. But, it's, but but I just want to say this. Well, the the thing that is amazing about you guys and what you do, it is it's it's infectious for young males, and it, there's something you can't even define it. Right. I mean, it's just like it, they're drawn like a, a moth to the light. You know. It's right. just it's just there's something. And, and and the root and the basis of this group here is it came out of uh, improv. I mean, Absolutely. it just came out of and that is those are your deepest roots, really. So to try and take you and, and shine you up, it's a little it's it's a little painful. And but at the same time, I don't know, did it did it do anything for you? Did it make you? I
4: mean, every yeah. I mean, you know, we. Being shined up like that, that was interesting. And, and and every time, I'm sure every artist has this, but every time you go to record or you work with a producer, you know, and uh, you're trying to get the best song. You know what I mean? They're going, and you, you know, you give that song to the producers and to the team and it's up for whatever needs to be done to make it a stronger tune. So the yeah. learning how to Maybe craft the best tune in two minutes, 30 seconds, or whatever we were shooting for. You know what you might need to drop, but you know, w- w- when you're starting out, you don't know all that stuff. So you come in with like a, you know, Black Sabbath 40 minute tune and, you know, it <laughs> gets. Chopped down to three minutes, and you're like, "What the heck?" <laughs> it so,
1: kind of loses something. Yeah, yeah. yeah like, like that, my favorite part is minutes. gone.
4: You know, you know, your your favorite part of the tune it happens to be on the floor, and and you're left with these other parts. But when it's all done, the you know the the, the thing that is created uh, with the producer and the band is is fine. You know, it, it's it stands on its own. So going through uh, all of the recording uh, that we had done, it's. Uh, learning those experiences, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And and trying to capture what EDL does. So if if we're, when we were writing Moment of Clarity, um, you know, we'd already been through those experiences enough to know what we wanna capture in in the songs. So uh, that was a little easier, you know, at that time.
3: So one of the things when you talk about like Lanny, um, what you'll probably know it probably know it better than I do because I just don't have that history. But um, they they say you have a lifetime to write your first record.
2: <laughs> right? Am I saying that right? It's, you have your whole life to write your first record. That's six right. Weeks to write your second.
3: But <laughs> because because <laughs> it, because we were doing it improv with uh, in an improv manner. There was. It wasn't until we went in and we did our first four-song demo with Bob Moon that we collectively said we need to know how we sound, and we were getting great feedback from like artists like Jeff Elbel, uh, Jeff Ballew, Sorry, Jeff Baloo from At the Time Crucified, but Steve Zaker.
5: Mm-hmm. and
3: we were getting great feedback from other hip-hop artists and things like that. But the one thing is, as we were playing these shows, in with improv. We were getting further away from a structure, and but when we came right into disgruntled after this demo, we had these four songs and maybe a couple more that had some shape, and then we get a record deal, and so we did not have the luxury of writing the whole record for the you know the lifetime of write this yeah. record, mm-hmm. and so there is a lot of a lot of pre-production that went into that record. There's, what nobody knows is, there was a great conversation that we had had um, on a flashback show from Saturday Night Live, where they showed the very first ever performance of Fear's New York's Alright. And that hit me, because Fear was a very strong LA band. It had a great presence and was very impactful to me. (coughs) so to see punk rock la punk rock in a new york environment on saturday night live at the time unprecedented yeah. so we were talking about that and lanny very casually said if you guys are really trying to embrace that la punk sound do a cover of that we did it never came out it's on a 2 inch reel somewhere in the archives i'm sure mm-hmm. um but hindsight being 2020 so we're not going to hear that one. Yeah, well <laughs> one of the things is is that it was very um the song itself was very to the times. And um, in the spirit of New York City, it was very, it was it was cutting teeth, it was very dry, and it was very, very bombastic, if you will. And one of the lines is New York's all right if you wanna get pushed in front of a subway. New York's all right if you have tuberculosis. New York's all right if you're a homosexual. And it speaks very clearly to the fact that there are three classes of people that are in New York City, and at the time, if you're talking about Son of Sam, you're talking about you know, the, uh, the poverty level, Harlem, uh, Brooklyn, not seeing the economic growth that they had once seen in the late 50s, early 60s. It was very rhetorical from a Los Angeles band. It's like, well, if you like you know, rusty nails in your front yard and high grass – go to hang out in New York City. And we thought it was very appropriate. Conversely, we had a lot of friends that, in our own way of sarcasm, it was kind of a, a letter of affection to them, you know, to to Clank and to Buka and all these guys. It's like, we love you. We wrote this song, We Hate Where You Live. <laughs> Sincerely, EDL. Um, and, but we didn't have that. So a song like Whitey on the Moon was a song that, as we were recording and working on these other songs, The idea of doing a musical version of of a Gil Scott Heron poem is difficult until you work it out, and then at the end you kind of just can't believe that happened. But again, it was we didn't have a lot of songs, but we were at least open to ideas. And that was one that came up really quick and we kinda just ran with it.
1: It wasn't that bad. It turned out okay. So here it is, Whitey on the Moon is what she's saying. Yeah. (laughs) Let's do it. Hey, Whitey, how long you gonna be on the moon? Yeah. (laughs)
5: Whitey's on the moon, no hot water, no toilets, no lights, but no Whitey's on the moon, I wonder why he's up to me, because Whitey's on the moon, well I was giving him $50 a week, and now Whitey's on the moon. my check the junkies make me a nervous wreck the price of food is going up and is it all that back is it enough a rat that bit my sister now with Whitey on the moon her face and arms began to swell Whitey's on the moon with all that money I made last year for Whitey on the moon how come I ain't got no money here Whitey on the moon you know I just about had my fill Whitey on the moon I think I'll send these bills Air, mail, special Whitey Whitey Nigga Whitey Whitey Don't call me Whitey, nigga Don't call me Nigga Whitey Now don't call me Whitey, nigga no, don't, don't call me Whitey, nigga. And don't call me nigga Whitey No, don't call me Whitey, nigga. And don't call me Help can't even help now Whitey's on the moon Aid for my brothers and sisters, how? Whitey's on the moon and guess we'll just sit by dying With Whitey on the moon Dogs have better luck at the tails crying Whitey's on the moon Fed up, us people are, and whites on the moon? Our slogan: Poverty of us.
3: Frontline Records Rewind is brought to you by MyS Music Group, extending the life of Legacy Music.
4: Another song uh, uh from uh Disgruntled uh, it's one of the for me, it's one of the stronger songs on there is, is Bystander, and um that song again can't came...
1: is this an innocent
4: bystander? Just a bystander.
3: I, I'm very fortunate. That these guys have never tried to dictate the flow of a conversation regarding how I'm communicating, singing. Mm-hmm. Um, each one of the verses in there are very specific to things that made individuals circ- victims of circumstance. The original chorus was supposed to be, and Carl had written it, was another victim of circumstance bystander, just somebody who was standing by, and whatever this moment was, it plowed through them. Mm-hmm. And so. Um, first song talks about um, poverty regarding you know welfare and food stamps and school lunch, free school lunches, which is a very relevant point now in American society. The second verse talks about the media's sway on your right to bear arms. And I have been a lifelong member of the NRA. And during the time of the riot, what I couldn't believe was how the media was very blatantly saying, you really don't have a right to own a gun. Look at what's happening here. But you could very easily put a gun down on your coffee table and leave it there for 19 days straight. And that gun never got up and shot anybody. Right. So it was, it was American public being told, your Second Amendment rights are very subject to, to position. And then in the third verse, it, it was just common conversation about the state of our neighborhoods and our blocks. And I got very lucky because these guys backed me on that. Because and you do your first record, and you know what are you supposed to say? Hey, I wrote a song about how it sucks to be on welfare, how the only way I'm gonna protect my child that's on welfare is by owning a gun. And this society, this block, this community, forces the, the first of the two obligations because it's so poverty-stricken and so so defensive and so volatile. Mm-hmm. and those were all areas that we grew up in you know we you know South Los Angeles County area is not exactly known to be the vacation destination <laughs> so sorry I got it. I got it. no got it.
4: that's good because you know I don't know um, Eels, we've tried to tackle in regards to the subject matter of, of what we do we try to tackle a lot of uh, uh, social issues you know we're a very social commentary type band mm-hmm. you know what I mean um, so we, we did try to tackle some serious issues, uh, but that song Bystander, uh, was one of those where, uh, it just came from the ether and, and, um, again, how it's recorded and what you hear is exactly what came through, you know what I mean? Um, uh, so it was pretty amazing to have, uh, I guess through my career of, of writing music to have two songs that just came. And to have them recorded, and what you hear is what I heard, you know, just through the universe, just coming, you know. So that's pretty amazing. Um, but yeah, we try to tackle some serious issues, you know. And I don't know if um, what we've said uh, over the life of everyday life, if it has uh, impacted anybody or, or made them view what they do and who they are, you know, and how they behave or interact with other people. Uh, hopefully it did something for them or, yeah. you know, and encouraged them. But I, I know for, for us, I think it's, it's what we were just trying to get out. You know, Can we hear it now? Let's do it. Bystander. EDL.
3: Les, the other day I was viewing the Frontline YouTube channel. Did you mm-hmm. know you're in almost every Rewind promo video?
1: I want to be. Well, yes. you are.
4: <laughs> awesome.
3: <laughs> There's also original music videos of Bloodgood, your band, mm-hmm. and other Frontline artists from the 80s and 90s. Wow.
4: Well, how do I view those?
3: You can just search Frontline Records channel
4: in YouTube. I'm going to do that. OK. Well, how do we get away with recording Cry of the Lame? You know, no justice, no peace, yeah. Who? who, who why are we doing that?
1: Yeah, oh, doing what? This. I like this. What, what's happening? Um, Tell me, guys, something inside. Uh, For all you listeners, Frontline so, Records, Rewind.
4: No, you know, we're here with Frontline Records, and um, I don't know. I was making. This is the first time we've been together in a long time, and I've listened to Disgruntled. I don't know. You know, off and on, but I've listened to it, and I'm like, I don't even know how we got signed. How, yeah. how do we even do this <laughs> who, who paid who who paid for this what are we doing so <laughs> what is
3: it what is it you keep saying who wrote this yeah yeah oh, yeah and trying to is learn my all name on
4: songs, there yeah. Yeah, exactly <laughs> trying to learn all the songs it's like who wrote this what is going on <laughs> that's great but there, there's some really strong songs on uh disgruntled that i enjoyed uh, bystander was awesome look love lies um Residence was one, uh, a little slower tune residence uh, Ted you got anything for Residence? because that was a really that's a heavy tune yeah you know and uh, it's it's a little out of our wheelhouse of of how aggressive it is it's pretty slow uh, when we were doing some of those improv and you know improv shows and stuff like that we did a lot more uh, hip-hop sounding music and Residence is one of those that came from that time of early EDL. Um, and so it's great that we have that song. It's, it's, I think it was on our four song demo that uh, helped us get to Disgruntled. Um, so to have that, and uh, it's a beautiful song, you know. It's really nice.
3: I, that, was one of the, that was one of the harder songs, actually, for me. It, Eric and Carl get harmony all day long. Eric can harmonize at a moment's notice, like it. It doesn't matter. His range is amazing, and he proves that throughout all four of the records. And mine wasn't because I didn't have any formal training. I didn't have you know a bunch of guys that are like, okay, three part harmony in, we're gonna solo out, we're gonna do this, and we're gonna do that. So I didn't have that.
1: So you weren't in choir mm-hmm. in high school or anything? No,
3: not at all. Oh, okay. um, I, it was there legitimately, and I'm probably probably one of the moments where I can like, say that I just shot my mouth off was, they would ask us how did you come up with this style of music and in a, a very proud voice, I would say, if your brother gave you Led Zeppelin and your best friend gave you Run-DMC, we're that genre of music. That's the happy medium. And um, But the problem is is that hip hop had been around long enough and rock and roll had been around long enough that you know every rose has a thorn. You know, all of these songs, they have a proven formula behind them. But I didn't know that. You know, and hip-hop had only just recently discovered this kind of softer tone. You don't have to be aggressive and mean and and mean-spirited and talk the streets because that's all you know. There was permission to say, here's a hip-hop love song. Um, So when they kind of came together, Resonance was one of those songs where it's like, you know, I grew up in no-bedroom apartments, studio apartments living with my mom for four and five years at a time where my bedroom was a closet. And it wasn't about what the surroundings were. It was about what you made of the surroundings you were. So the value, you know, the apartment itself, without everything in it, has no intrinsic value. Your landlord, you know, your, your realtors can tell you the value of that apartment in conjunction to the beach, that grocery store, and that laundromat. That's an $850 apartment. Well, that's a lie. There is no intrinsic value to four squares with a, a sink and a couch. It has nothing. There's no there's no heart. There's no soul to it. And But with residents, it was the same thing that I think Carl and Eric and, and, and I, and if I'm speaking for you, Jim, let me know or not, let me know. But, I mean, yeah. Okay, so, like, this whole weekend that we've been getting back together, all I've heard you say is, I live there. I lived there, I lived there, gone all around Orange County just saying like, I've been there, i lived there.
4: Ever since high school, I've just been moving around,
3: yeah. See, and that, I think that's kind of where we all were. You know, Eric is one of the few people in my life that I can honestly say, his mom still lives in the same house, mm-hmm. it, that's so rare. I don't, I don't know when that happens. And so moving around was the thing where it was like, I don't try to move into a house fast, because I just want to get it done. I try to move into a house fast because the minute you can, you can start creating legacy and in heritage and you know and and the kind of things that you know you need you know we we gather around the fireplace and we hang this wreath every year and you know the little Sally's you know high chart is on this you know doorwell and that was what I was tapping into is the fact that it's like be nice to sit still for a little bit and live in one place. Wow. And it was it was strange because lyrically with "Residence," we, we we took I, I one of the many times I I guess and I'm holding up air quotes here I cussed um, because I said um, the the chorus is the place in which you dwell from your living hell is your residence, and in interviews in the future I'd use the word hell before too. It was weird how this song kind of was given this lyrical consideration or this lyrical grace from the listening audience that my interviews later did not have that same social grace where it's like this place is a living hell you know it's hell on earth it's this and it's that but somewhere along the line that song found a social grace and I didn't even think about that until recently that you know I on disgruntled there's a lot of lyrical liberties that I took like um uh one of the songs I say is we wallow in the filth of the verbal defecation. We all know exactly what I just said. But nowhere at any time did the record company go,es look, if you mean to say this word, no, not at all. We're not paying for that record. Um, but Residence was one of the ones where it's like, here is this ballady, you know, home on the range kind of song. And this kid's taking the liberty of using what I was told in a HM Uh, response from a listener is hell is a four letter word how dare you and the record company was very supportive of it you know frontline and alarma and everybody else were very supportive um but if you go back and you look at how i'd originally written some of the songs i had thrown the f word in like three songs because i didn't see that as unsocially acceptable because it was commentary at the time and you know there was a couple guys that was like Maybe, maybe don't. Maybe don't use that. <laughs> okay. But I, somewhere along the line, I, I got away with it. So here is this very heartfelt, home on the range kind of song, and I'm getting away with the use of this word and its intention. And it's very literal what that intention is. And it was one of those things where it's like, I'm, I feel like I'm telling the story of, of every apartment that I lived in and, and, and you know, every house that these guys have lived in. And, and and comparing that to this super awesome, nurturing environment that Eric was with, because that's where we practice. Mm-hmm. So the nuances in his house, the the small subtleties that they took pride in, I saw those in my houses too, it's just the differences. His actually got to be around long enough that it became part of this you know family legacy. And mine was like, well, that porcelain doll is there. I'm sure we'll have another wall in the next house we live in in a year and a half. We'll stick a porcelain doll right about there too. And so we wrote that. And, I think it's the reason why we did it a second time on American Standard because I don't, I, I didn't, my personal opinion is it didn't, the story didn't get told right musically. Um, I think that there was some things that Lanny saw in previous music that had that formula that he was trying to get out of it. And when I heard it, it was, you know, maybe a a, a Rhodes behind it. It, you know, maybe it had more of a, a Bob Seger kind of sound mm-hmm. and less of a, you know, a Great White kind of sound. And I don't fault Lanny for that. That was his point of reference. But I think, I think I was looking more towards hindsight being twenty twenty. Obviously, um, looking towards bands like Graham Nash, Bob Seger. Like I wanted that out of that. I think when we started working with Not on American Standard, we found that. I, I think that's when we found that because then we were working with Gene Eugene, and there was this great stream of artists that were coming through that that felt that too.
1: I want to just say that is was such a in-depth journey that you took me on. Sitting here listening, gave me insight to your life and and where you've lived and and uh, even. The fact that when it finally got recorded, it wasn't everything that you just told us. But nevertheless, here's Residence by EDL. Well, that was everyday life, and wow, what a what an episode that was! I, I learned things today. I really did. These guys are deep, actually, and and uh, their message uh, is 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 focused on 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 people that wouldn't normally receive things, I guess, in this world as it is. But God doesn't overlook any area of life, and and these guys are are just definitely penetrating. <laughs> Areas that a lot of people don't ever go to. So, great show. Uh, very moved by it, and uh, I hope you've enjoyed it. Les Carlson, Frontline Rewind, Everyday Life.